Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on The Pod Station. Welcome everyone to episode 37 of the Johnson & Boone Podcast. My name's Mark, I am the host. Uh, joining me this week is Rob who's had a week off um which is outrageous uh from podcasting anyway i know he's been working nice and hard um you seem to have a new haircut as well rob what's with the uh the sexy side part in it's looking you look very dapper no no it's it's more a case of if i don't do that i can't see anymore mark so it's uh very much waiting for the barbers to open yes we've been told by the prime minister that we there is a way out of this shenanigans and i think it's safe to say that all of us can't wait not least because we all need a haircut desperately. Um, so uh, if this is the first episode that you're listening to, just to briefly explain, uh, each week we pick a topic which falls within the expertise of the Johnson & Boone team. And we just delve into it slightly. I mean, it's impossible to go into too much detail because uh, we'd be here till Christmas. Um, although you might be listening to this show at Christmas, in which case, Merry Christmas. Um, but uh, that being said, we, we try and give you a cursory review just to give you a taster. And then if you think you need some extra help, then you know where the experts are and you can get in touch with us. Now, if you want to check out those previous episodes, there's a whole host of ways to do it. If you go to the johnsonandboon.co.uk website, you'll find useful tips and a podcast tab. If you go there, you'll find all of the previous shows. You'll also find links to all of the major podcast platforms where you can actually find the show. If it's easier, just go into the platforms. If you go to the likes of Apple, Google, Spotify, just type in Johnson and Boone, you'll find the show there. Subscribe, and you will get the shows automatically when they drop. Um, it'd also be handy if you give us a five-star review, if you enjoy the show and you found it useful, so that ultimately other people might be able to find us too. You can also listen to the show on the mobile app. If you go to the Android or Apple App Store, type in Johnson and Boone in the search term you'll find the app it's free to download you can listen to the shows there you can also do a whole host of other things you can book appointments with Rob or the team you can actually choose who it is that you want so if you particularly find Rob's voice sexy and sultry and would like a meeting with him then you can choose that uh, has it happened yet Rob no not yet Mark but I, I hold out hope every day <laughs> well we can live in hope maybe you might be the first person guys uh you can also check us out on social media johnson and boone are on facebook 
Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. You can also listen to the show on YouTube. We haven't dared to go down the video in the show route, uh, but we are very much doing the audio version, so you can listen to it if that is your preferred way of consuming this sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, if you want to check us out on social media, that's always good. There's loads of content that goes on there as well. Uh, Rob, moving on swiftly to the episode that we're going to be covering on today. What's the topic we've you've chosen? So this week we're back in the world of business and we're discussing the issues that businesses may face from the use of a subcontractor, uh, especially if that uh, relationship isn't governed and, and set out properly between the parties nice and early on. What do we mean by subcontractor? Because it's, it's probably a term that people have come across but probably don't necessarily understand. Yeah, a, a subcontractor is a legal entity. It can be an individual. Sometimes it'll be a company, uh, but they are hired by another business. Again, it could be individual, a company, any any type of setup to carry out a specific task within a project. And that might be something that the, the main company, if you like, or the main business either can't do themselves or doesn't want to do. So in, in terms of a few you know, classic examples, a marketing company, um, if you take a marketing company, they might have particular expertise in advertising. Maybe they're very good at pay-per-click or they're very good at a set, a set thing. But their clients are going to want things like web development. They're going to want things uh, such as the production of graphics. So whilst under their umbrella, they may not have the staff internally to do that. They'll employ third parties to complete those tasks. But as far as the customer is is concerned, They've always just came from the person that they employed to do the work. So those other people are subcontracted in. They don't work for the business on a full-time basis. It's very much on an as and when it's required, uh, and they are subcontractors. I mean, you've actually just used a phrase there, which sort of leads me on to the next question, because you've said that the subcontractors are employed by that agency. That That's sometimes where the lines become very blurry, if you're using a subcontractor on a regular basis, the, the, you're almost treating them like an employee. And does that does that blur the lines? Does that become an issue? It very much does. You have to be really careful. I mean, you'll hear the term "accidental employer," and that is, you know, it, it can be a situation where it's an individual who, for all intents and purposes, was always intended just to be a subcontractor. But because that agreement was never regulated and because the the person employing them to do a specific task maybe goes beyond and controls too much what they do or they don't do work for others uh, and there's there's lots of other criteria that, that that would be met but they can become an accidental employer and of course the difficulties that they then cause is in relation to tax for example and have they have they been paying tax properly is the company uh, i.e the you know the main company are they responsible for the tax or does that sit with the subcontractor and these and these are all issues that can accidentally creep in over time i bet a few people are now thinking crikey so what what is it that they should really be doing or bearing in mind to try and avoid these pitfalls because somebody might actually think well that sounds very familiar to to me it will be very familiar to many many listeners i mean we've used the marketing company as an example but it, it's always done in building you know you, you'll have 
um, a main building contractor who, who will be the company that maybe does the bulk of the work, but they'll bring in sparks and they'll bring in gas fitters. They might bring in plasterers and none of them may actually be employed. So it is something that is, it's very, very common. The first thing to say is that every subcontractor uh, must be asked to sign a subcontractor's agreement. Um, and that's just a contract. It can be fairly simple, but it governs the relationship between the business and the subcontractor. Um, and it provides them with a layer of protection to make sure that many of the issues that we're discussing and some more we'll go on to set out um, are avoided. Okay, so what are the issues that can be caused if you don't have a subcontractor contract? There's many issues that can be caused. The, what we'll do today is, for the sake of um, sort of keeping it nice and sweet, we'll we'll stick to four main issues, um, and we'll explain how they're relevant and, and how they're um, they're combated by an agreement. So the ones we'll stick to today are liability issues, intellectual property rights issues, uh, the issues that arise out of confidentiality, and also non-solicitation. All right, so let's start with liability. This is one that I was very familiar with when I first started my career and I was dealing with personal injury claims and you were trying to establish, for example, um, there was a, an accident at work or or something like that and you were trying to establish who was at fault for that and this is certainly where subtractors came in because there was quite often an argument with the employers that it was a subcontractor's fault but then it was like, well, are they your employers by virtue of the nature of the relationship? It became very, very complicated very quickly, suffice to say. It can become very complicated very quickly, and it, it goes hand in hand with indemnities. So you'll you'll often hear us, and we've talked about this in other in other episodes, and, and we regularly look at liabilities, and we also look at, in, at indemnities. That this is one of those areas that is wide open in terms of it being contested later on if it isn't set out in a contract. Um, many subcontracting agreements will very, very heavily protect one party or another, or sometimes both parties. And you can specifically exclude any type of liability, save for ones such as negligence or save for ones that arise out of fraud or which relate to injury or death, which under law you're just not allowed to, to exclude. But commonly, there'll be a restriction in there, for example, that no matter what happens, neither party would have to um, account t t to each other for profits. Now, that might not be what somebody wants to do. So one of the things that we're talking about here is the agreement that should be put in place. But equally, this advice goes for people who are asked to sign an agreement to make sure that that agreement is, is fully understood by them and it isn't overly one-sided. The difficulty with this is that for the we'll call them the main company and we'll call them the subcontractor so as we don't have to flip backwards and forwards the main company have a contractual relationship with their customer so if something goes wrong that the subcontractor has done depending upon what how risky that is and how high value that is they might have a massive problem with their client that they might have to account for so if they do something that causes their client a significant loss and there isn't something within their contractual relationship that limits that. The main business is in trouble. And unless they have something in place whereby they can uh, bring in the, the subcontractor and seek an indemnity from them, um, that is problematic. From the subcontractor's point of view, do they want to be on the hook for stuff 
or or should they be limiting their liability and is other parties happy with liability li being limited so this should be an open discussion very very early on in the relationship and often there'll be situations where two parties just won't work together for that reason because they have completely mismatched expectations um in in, in terms of, of what they require from each other but if it isn't set out what will happen is is, is the parties will end up in a dispute later on um and the, the company will very much be in the middle because the, the customer will quite rightly blame the company and the company will blame a third party who there is no uh contractual relationship between them and, and the customer who's the end user we we often say that quite often with these sorts of relationships and it boils back down to the directors and the partnerships uh, people are always happy to get into bed with one another because they assume it will be rosy and sunny forever and it's only when there's a problem that arises that, that you wish you'd put these sorts of things in place it is um and it's something that if it's if it's dealt with nice and easy you know these things are done regularly because they work well and it stops people from having to have copious amounts of staff for things that might only arise every now and again you know we'll go back to the the marketing example if a marketing company's main bag is is adwords for example why would they have a graphic designer sitting in the corner for once a year when when somebody wants a graphic doing but at the same time it's greatly risky for them to send that customer away to a different marketing agency for them to get a graphic done because they might not see them back. So the way that that's combated is that they will get it done for them. Um, now it's a basic example, you know, what, what what really could go wrong when it comes to the liability off the back of a graphic. But if you flip that over and you put that into maybe an IT setting where there could be a massive loss of data, or you put it into a building setting where something could be structurally incorrect, um, it, it's a much, much bigger um, issue. Now that, that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that the marketing company doesn't need um, a contract in place because they will have other issues, which one of which we'll go on to discuss next. But these are all issues that people don't think about. Um, they focus on what commercially works well for the business as they should, but th there can be a real reality check later on when things go wrong. Now, the second one, intellectual property. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, it extends beyond the example I'm, I'm just about to give but for me personally there's quite a number of occasions when I'm asked to do things on a white label basis as, as effectively a subcontractor and it would be lovely because obviously everything I do always looks amazing uh, it would be lovely to be able to tell the world this amazing work I've done but common sense and um I suppose my moral compass as a business owner tends to lead me to believe that I can't really do that because it's not for me to do that because I was hired specifically to be the superhero in the background that remains masked and unknown to the world. But it doesn't always work like that, does it? It doesn't. So what people don't understand is, firstly, this is a, a vastly complicated area that we couldn't possibly explain the intricacies of in, in this show. But the general rule is that the creator of the work is the first owner of any IP rights that it has. Um, if that is to be changed, then it needs to be verified by contract, really, to, to save people from getting into uh, an argument about it. So uh, just because 
I might instruct you and I might pay you to do something for me. That doesn't necessarily mean that I own the rights in that. Um, they can still be yours. And it's very important when it comes to a marketing company that that is very carefully regulated because even if that marketing company is advertising their own work later on, which is similar to the example you give, it needs to be clear that that's okay. And when I say okay, that doesn't mean what is the rights and wrongs in it, but nobody wants to end up in a dispute because you're in a dispute with your own client. And also it's a dispute because there's been complete mismatched expectations in relation to what will or won't happen. It might even be a deal breaker for people as to whether they want to start working together in the first place. Um, and IP, you know, we're talking now about designs, but this can be anything which is developed or created in the course of uh, the work that's being being carried out. If we flip back over again and we use the um, the IT uh, companies as, as an example, it might be that someone creates something really clever and really fancy uh, that is is done so under the under the scope of the work that they're, they're carrying out for the main company. Um, it's very very important that the rights then reside with the company because they're going to be paying a lot of money to get that work done possibly, um, and they need to be able to sell it onto the customer if they want to. Um, so you need to sort of follow the contracts through and make sure that what you think is happening. Is is what actually is is what's actually happening, and the best way to do that is to enshrine it within the contracts between the parties. The last thing in the world you want is the next Dyson vacuum cleaner, only to find that actually you don't own the IP rights to the vacuum cleaner. Absolutely, and you know there's been some massive cases over time in in relation to this, and there are many many small cases every single day. As I say, it's a very complicated area but um, it is something that people need to bear in mind when they're putting these things in place, regardless really as to the type of business that you are. Now, the next one, confidentiality, is a huge one nowadays and very topical because, of course, we have GDPR, and if people don't know what GDPR is, then there's probably a fine wing in its way to you right now um, because that it... People won't realise just by hiring a subcontractor there's an exchange of personal information, isn't there? There is. It's a, it's a very, very hot topic and it's certainly one to watch this space in over the next few years because it's it's going to continue to grow as a as an area of conflict. Um, in, in terms of this, as soon as you employ a subcontractor, it, it very rarely matters what they're going to do for you they will have access to some sort of confidential information and whether that be uh, the information of, of your business. So it could be technical know-how, it could be client lists, it, it could be anything really, anything that isn't in the public domain. Um, equally, you know, it, it could be personal information depending upon what it is and depending on what type of work you do. Um, and it's, it's very, very important that it's, it's regulated. Um, you also need to make sure that there's agreements in place in, in relation to how any data that they do have access to or what they are past is used by them. So, you know, you talk about GDPR and everyone's supposed to have a GDPR policy now and follow it. It's very important that the main business makes sure that the subcontractor has got one and that they themselves are GDPR compliant because there's no point in you doing everything to protect yourself. And then the leak being whoever you work with because it will still it will still be a breach upon yourself um the final thing to comment on which is is fairly obvious but often missed the customer has to consent so 
within the documentation and within the contractual relationship between the the main company and their customer they have to say it's okay for their data to be shared with the subcontractor um, and normally it's done in privacy policies and, and ways like that but it, it, it has to be done you you can't just pass data around in the in the optimistic hope that nothing goes wrong because some of the fines now are huge um, and it, it is going to be a topic over the next few years and, and it is something that will be in the media. Confidentiality extends to the likes of your services and indeed those of an accountant where you might be doing something where, uh, I mean, it's it's famous that when clients talk to their lawyer, it's much akin to talking to a priest, that information's not permitted to go anywhere. But yet solicitors obviously instruct barristers who are for all intent and purposes, a, a subcontractor. Yeah, they are. Within the legal profession, there's different things. So obviously there's the automatic confidentiality stuff, and then there's the client privilege that you're talking about in, in terms of not sharing that elsewhere. And there are professional obligations under some circumstances when, when you do have to do certain things. But it does go across the board. Um, finance and, and, account, and, and legal as an accountancy is... Is, is an obvious one. Um, the ones that are often missed is, you know, you'll have a painter and decorator and he'll have a book that he jots down all the client details in, the names, the numbers, the amounts, the jobs, um, and it isn't compliant. You know, it, 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 and it hasn't been compliant for some time, but it is still done. What we're talking about here really is making sure that within the agreement, it is contractually set out that people will be following that. Um, there are many other things that stream from it that isn't the only thing you need to do, but it does need to be contractually acknowledged that both parties are taking all steps in relation to confidentiality. Uh, and the final one that we touched on was non-solicitation. Uh, this is an interesting one, uh, certainly in the marketing world, because this can become very muggy if the area that you don't specialize in requires you to actually almost put your client and that subcontractor in touch with one another. And if there is a bit of crossover in your services, if that that subcontractor then does a really good job from them, there is a potential that your client suddenly wants to use other services that they may have an offer and you end up losing business as a result of doing that introduction. So. How's, how how does that not be a thing? It's very difficult to govern what you've just said. So what, what you can't do is you can't stop a third party, i.e. the customer, from deciding that they want to use somebody else. And if that somebody else is um, a person that they have, have came into contact with, that's something that the subcontractor may need to be concerned about if there's non-solicitation clauses. But you, you can't stop that. Often contracts are silent on it, or if there's no contract in place, then it, it is a it's a it's a free run. Um, you are talking about customers, and you're talking about the sort of situations where even off the back of a, a client list, you know they misuse it, they come into contact with the client um, momentarily, maybe part of a, as as part of a transaction, and then they use that as a later date as a way to market to them, and as you say, take the customer away from you. That needs to be protected. But what equally needs to be protected is your staff because you might have someone who is particularly very, very good at something. And again, we'll use the marketing example uh, because we've done so throughout. Let's say you've got someone who is particularly good at 
we'll say AdWords again, or we'll say graphic design, or they might do a specific type of 3D design. You know, you see that within the, the architectural world sometimes. If they're particularly good at something and, and a subcontractor that um, you use, that's the part of their business that's missing. It might be they want that person. So you can put restrictions in place to prevent them from being able to employ anybody from your staff within a certain period of time. And it can only be a certain period of time um, after the after the agreement ends, but it's long enough to make it a hindrance for you to keep that member of staff or to keep that, uh, that customer for that little bit longer so that the relationship isn't quite as strong as it might be. If this is completely missed, then you could lose a really good customer or you could lose your best member of staff. It's uh, we we did touch on this uh, in a previous podcast in a slight from a slightly different employment angle with Chris. So if you want to go back through and you can check, I think it's um, contracts of employment. Then it, that we we do cover sort of the restrictive government element, which obviously deals more with the employer employee relationship as opposed to a, a subcontractor. But it's kind of a similar principle. It's very much so a, sim- a, a similar thing, and you know. The main concern will be in relation to the client, but they are also valid concerns in relation to your employees and, and they will have a close relationship with the subcontractors because the subcontractors will be dealing with them intrinsically within most projects and they'll be working together. So it's the, the part that you can't do, they're doing, but equally the likelihood is that the part that your staff are doing, the subcontractor doesn't do. I think the... Uh, the the main message that seems to run consistently through those areas that we've touched on is get yourself a contract with your subcontractor. It is. I mean, as we've said, the these arrangements work very well. That's why they are used by millions of businesses across the country, have been for a very long period of time and will be for a very long rip, a period of time. But it is important so that there aren't any disputes, there aren't any mismatched expectations and disputes don't arise, um, that a, a proper contract is put in place. Um, it's Both parties have had advice on it. It all sounds very formal, but it can be done very quickly and it just it protects everyone uh, and stops a dispute later on, which, as we've said here, you could either lose a client or you could spend a fortune having a, a legal battle. We've said that getting one of these contracts at the outset is the ideal situation if people have already got existing relationships and have been doing it for days weeks months years already is it too late to get a contract in place is there a danger to them introducing this at this stage I don't think there is a danger in interview, introducing it late because if you're still working with someone, um, you, you probably still get on. You probably also want to protect each other's interests and these contracts aren't one-sided. They are to protect both parties' interests um, and they will just regulate what has been going on for however long it's been going on for. The contract doesn't change how you work. It just reflects how you work and make sure that if there's any things that haven't been discussed previously, they are discussed. Um, and it, it, it isn't too late. It, it's also, um, it, it isn't something that is a huge time commitment for either party to do. Um, it, it, it's something that is reasonably cost effective uh, and it's something that everyone should do. 
is this one of these things that you could just Google and get for free and it's perfect and it'll suit and all will be well forever? As we'll say on, on many occasions, there are things that you can do yourself. This is certainly something that you shouldn't. What people will do, and I have seen this before, is, is they will Google something and the title will look roughly what we've said today. Um, and in the worst case of scenarios, it will be the wrong document from the wrong country. Um, and all you're doing there is you, you're actually messing things up more than they need to be. Um, rather than have the wrong document, you're probably better having no document. Um, but it's it's something that is it needs to be professionally drafted and it needs to be drafted in a way so that it's fairly bespoke to you. There's no point in the contract saying something that the parties aren't going to do or putting measures in place that the parties can't do. There's also no point in having a contract in place that no one understands because you won't know whether it's been breached or not. And the first time you'll know is when you bring it to someone like myself to help you out when you think there's been a breach and we tell you it, it doesn't stand up. So it, it isn't one of those things that you should be trying yourself now. Uh, we both know a client who won't mind us saying that they, they provided you with a, a template terms when they set up and asked whether or not that was something suitable and you quickly turned around and pointed out that it was actually not even in the UK jurisdiction that these terms applied and I think that's a, a great example of finding something on the Tinterweb and just assuming it will suit because it looks all clever because there's lots of paragraphs and numbers on next to the paragraphs it is and i think in that instance you know the mistake was that it was it was something that was found it looked about right uh, but it was from the wrong jurisdiction and it was slightly the wrong documents and as a result it didn't cover anything that that business would have wanted them to and um, um, i think in that in that instance we were asked to go through and, and check that it was okay and actually it resulted in a complete rewrite because there was very little out of that agreement that actually needed to appear in the correct version. It was turned around reasonably quickly um, and, and, and now they're using it well. So it is it is a painless exercise, um, but as you say, it, it is something that is easily mistaken. Um, and, and if people end up with the wrong documents, a privacy policy is, is often one because on a website, a privacy policy is often called terms and conditions. So people print off the terms and conditions and, and they think that's similar for what they use. But actually, a privacy policy isn't terms and conditions. It might be terms and conditions for the use of the website, but nothing to do with the business. And I've, I've, I've seen that mistake many times. If somebody's head's just fallen off, what are the steps for you to help them put that head back on and make things all right, Rob? It's really straightforward to get going. So what we do in the first place is we have an initial consultation where we basically learn about the business because until we know about the business and what you're trying to achieve, we can't possibly draft anything. We then um, will prepare the contracts. We'll then have a second meet, which at the moment, obviously all of this is done remotely and we'll explain the contract to you. And that's us double checking that what we've drafted actually works for the business. There's no point in us telling you how to trade. It's important that the contract reflects how you do actually trade. And then once that's all agreed, the final draft will be provided uh, with some basic branding on it, albeit if they've got a, a marketing guide, they can make it look nice and pretty. And then it can be rolled out. 
and and they can use it. Um, if there's any changes needed later on, or if anything, um, if there's any alterations, then then they can come back to us, uh, and we can do it from there. In in terms of if you're someone who's provided with one of these agreements, then we can also do a review of it, and we can explain um, in a in a contract report what. That it actually means for you and we can recommend some changes and again we go through exactly the same process uh, quick question with regards to that because obviously johnson and boom can help both the people who are looking for subcontractors and the people who are acting as subcontractors is there one side of that relationship where the responsibility lies to have a contract or does it is it kind of open for so for example if i was to use a subcontractor would it be my responsibility to have a contract that i give to the subcontractor for us to enter into or can the subcontractor go yeah i'd love to do that work here's my terms and conditions and and the the two things are essentially the same it's very similar and and it, and it can be the both already do have their own contracts and it might be that a little bit of give and take is required so it's the um, a, a, a contract that blends the two is is prepared. It, if you're offered one and you don't have one, then you can use that as the starting point and we can look at that contract and make sure that that fits your needs. If it's the opposite way around and there isn't one, then it's for you then to make sure that you're protected because ultimately you have to take responsibility for protecting your own business. And just because those that are working with you haven't done that, that doesn't mean you should take a step back from from the protection that you need. It's best for both to have a contract irrespective of what the relationship is and then you're almost making a commercial decision, aren't you, really, to negotiate which, which terms or which part of each other's terms you use, but ultimately ending up with having a set of terms. Yeah, just a set of terms. And it's very, you know... There is no argument going on here. It's not contentious. It is just the recording of reasonable terms. These agreements shouldn't be massively one-sided. And if they are one-sided, then that's the advice that people need to get to strip them back and make them fair. So it reflects both parties' needs uh, because ultimately that is the way that a relationship is going to last um, any length of time. Fun Dabby does it. And if they want to get in touch, how can they make an appointment? How can they get a hold of you? All the usual ways, so um, they can call our office on 0151 637 2034. They could drop us an email at info at They can look us up on any of the main social media platforms. So we're on Facebook, Insta, LinkedIn, Twitter, or they can download our app. And by downloading our app, there's a, a message tab in there where they can go straight into any of our diaries and they can book an appointment slot straight in. If they're on our website, johnsonandburn.co.uk, then there's also a message tab there, uh, and that message will land with all of the solicitors in the office, and whichever one is of most relevance, we'll, we'll get back to them. Brilliant. Uh, as we said at the outset, guys, hopefully you found this episode useful, and if you have, go check out some of the previous episodes. Give us a review on whichever platform you're using to listen to it. That'd be fantastic. You can also, you can also, if you go to the Johnson and Boone website, you can sign up for their mailing list. And actually, the mailing list generally gives you all sorts of other tips and tricks, and 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 gives you some resource tools that you can work from. So um, there was a startup business uh, booklet that you put together a while ago which we're going to be making available again for people who want to sign up 
you'll get weekly um, notifications that the podcasts are out. Um, there's also going to be some articles that we're going to start publishing as well, which have got useful tips on all of the different services. So it's well worth checking that out as well, guys, um, because it's just the ability for you to access as much information because forewarned is forearmed, as they say. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. Amen to that. So without further ado, thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show, Rob. Thank you very much for that useful insight, and we will catch you all next time, guys. See you later. Thanks, guys. Bye now. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.